Hello and welcome to Coffeehouse Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Isabel Hardman and this is the Sunday Roundup. Today, Laura Koonsberg's show was dominated by her interview with Baroness Michelle Moan and her husband Doug Barrowman, who have admitted their direct involvement with PPE MedPro, a company awarded a huge PPE contract during the pandemic, despite years claiming the contrary. The couple said they made a £60 million profit from the deal and Moan admitted to being a beneficiary of financial trusts where the money is held. There is an ongoing criminal investigation, but Moan suggested they had been made scapegoats. Barrowman even implied a government official had asked for a bribe in exchange for the investigation to be called off. Moan claimed all they had done wrong was lie to the press. Making a profit of £60 million during a national emergency like a pandemic sounds not just like an enormous amount of cash, but also a bit like profiteering. Well, PP prices during the pandemic went up five times and a lot of our competitors uh, were charging, as I said before, on the gowns front between seven and 12 pounds a gown. At the very start of the pandemic, the government paid actually numbers way in excess of that. We cut out most of the, um, the middle people and we dealt direct with the manufacturer. So you say you saved the government a lot of money, but you also made a lot of money. And there's nothing wrong with making money, but that is what happened, right? We made a good return for the risk involved, and the risk was considerable. But when it became public that you were connected to the company, you both denied it. Why? I wasn't trying to pull the wool over anyone's eyes, and I regret and I'm sorry for not saying straight out, yes, I am involved, because... DHSC, the NHS, um, the Cabinet Office, they all knew of my involvement. But I didn't want the press intrusion for my family. My family have gone through hell with the media over, you know, my career. And I didn't want another big hoo-ha in the press. Over a period of months, you said again and again Mm -hmm. that you had no connection. And your lawyers even said to some journalists it would be defamatory, they'd be libelling you if they told the truth. You know, this just wasn't a slip-up. You didn't tell the truth for months on end. I think if we were to say of anything that we have done, we've done a lot of good, but if we were to say anything that we have done, that we are sorry for, and that's not to... We should have told the press straight up, straight away, nothing to hide. And again, I'm sorry for that, but I wasn't trying to pull the wool over anyone's eyes. No one. But that's exactly what you were trying to do. You had lawyers working for both of you, telling people, telling the public that you had nothing to do with the company. Yeah. And saying it would have been a libel to suggest that you were. Yeah, but it's something that we regret doing and we listen to our advisors. Cases like that of Moan and Barrowman have led to accusations of cronyism at work during the pandemic. Deputy Prime Minister Oliver Dowden told Koonsberg he was confident all the proper checks and balances were carried out when awarding contracts. But Koonsberg wondered why £9 billion was wasted on PPE that was never used. Dowden said the government's strategy was to plan for the reasonable worst case scenario and order the maximum amount available. Talking about the broader issue here, I mean, if you're confident all the checks and balances were followed, then why there's so much PPE from so many different companies that was never used? Why was £9 billion wasted 
if all the correct checks and balances were carried out. Well, there's this wider point about the scale of the PP that was ordered. And what the government was doing was working against what we describe in government as the reasonable worst-case scenario. So in a rapidly moving situation, and remember, again, going back to the height of COVID, countries around the world were trying to grapple with where this was going. So we made sure that we ordered large amounts of PPE in order to to meet the reasonable worst-case scenario. Now, thankfully, that didn't transpire. So it did mean that we had more PPE than was required. But I think that that was the correct balance for the government to, to get in this situation. But are you proud that you ended up with £9 billion wasted? Well, first of all, I would dispute the, the, the waste number. But the overall principle that we ordered to the reasonable worst-case scenario, mm -hmm. I think, is what your viewers would expect us to do, to make sure if we didn't know quite where this virus is going, just like other countries around the world, we made sure that we got the maximum amount available. And that's exactly what we did. Some experts would say, actually, you had to order in such a panic like that because the government wasn't properly prepared at the beginning. But I want to address a different element of this, though, is where people with political connections were able to be fast forwarded in what was known as the VIP lane. Now, there were a number of Conservative politicians who were the sources of referrals into that VIP lane for people who then did get commercial contracts. That has created claims of cronyism on quite a broad scale. On reflection, would it have been better not to use that approach? Because it has left you open and other Conservative politicians open to claims of cronyism that basically contracts for PPE were being doled out to the government's mates. Well, what I should say, first of all, that is categorically not the case. In terms of the, the perception point, of course, one can always look back with hindsight on these things. But, but it's important. But what I, what I would say in, in respect of this was the government's intention in respect of that was to make sure that if legitimate claims came forward, uh, we process them quickly. There, was, there were no favours or special treatment. Everyone had ultimately the same test applied to them. And indeed, if it is the case where... Uh, allegations of, of fraud and misconduct have, have occurred. There's either the civil, civil or criminal, which you can see going on in respect of the, the interview that you've just broadcast. In addition to that, we set up the Public Sector Fraud Authority, which already in mm -hmm. its first year has recovered double its initial target. And we've recovered specifically uh, over £130 million worth of fraud. And that's, that's what we're doing uh, already. And of course, there'll be more to come through the pipeline. So Shadow Health Secretary Wes Streeting was direct in his assessment of the Baroness Moan interview, telling Koonsberg that no one would shed a tear for Moan and denouncing Labour plans to appoint a Covid corruption commissioner to target those guilty of profiteering during the pandemic and claw back as much money as possible. Koonsberg pointed out that the government was already enacting similar plans. Let's just go back to our interview with Michelle, Michelle Moan uh, briefly. She says that she has been made a scapegoat for a wider government shambles. Do you agree with that? I must say, I, I don't know who thought it was a good idea for her to do that interview, but I don't think anyone watching will be shedding any tears. She lied about her own involvement in a serious contract and, you know, recognise that there's an ongoing criminal investigation, so be careful about what I say, mm -hmm. but there's a fundamental point of principle here which is in the midst of a deadly pandemic, when so many people rush to help others mm. in all sorts of ways, from you know, helping their neighbours, going to work even though it was dangerous, particularly those people working in the NHS. Mm. There were so many people who rushed to do the right thing. And then there were others who saw the pandemic as an opportunity to make a quick buck 
at someone else's expense. And our message to those people who sought to use the pandemic to get rich quick, we want our money back. And with a Labour government, we will appoint a COVID corruption commissioner, giving them the powers they need to claw back as much of that money as possible, because £8 billion, mm. £8 billion was lost through fraud, £15 billion in unusable PPE. Taken together, that could have funded the 40 new hospitals Look, the government hasn't delivered. On Sky News, Trevor Phillips asked Streeting to justify his accusations of complacency in the NHS. Streeting explained he hadn't meant complacency among NHS workers, but rather complacency in the approach to fixing its issues. He claimed simply providing more money could not work and that the NHS needed to modernise and reform its systems to work more efficiently. Streeting said he believed that the NHS could remain free at the point of use, but only if those changes were made and blamed 13 years of conservative mismanagement for the state of public finances. Let's start with what you told the Times last week. You said, I don't think it's good enough that the NHS uses every winter crisis and every challenge it faces as an excuse to ask for more money. Waiting lists at nearly 8 million, ambulances stacked up for hours outside A&E. Seriously? An excuse? It's, it's an astonishing record of failure from no, 13 years. No, 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 no. Let's deal with your government. words. Let's not but get Trevor, back on to how terrible Tories I'll, no, I'll, I'll tell you... you said... Don't use this as an excuse. Seriously, are you calling that an excuse? I think that when you look at the challenges facing the NHS, not just now but into the long term, we've got the triple whammy of a growing ageing society, rising chronic disease and rising cost pressures. And unless we keep a focus, sharp focus on all three... We, we threaten to not just overwhelm the NHS in terms of demand, but bankrupt the NHS financially. And, we, and what I've been setting out is a, the case for both investment and reform, because pouring ever-increasing amounts of taxpayers' money into a broken system is wasteful in every sense. It's a waste of money we don't have. It's a waste of time that isn't on the NHS's side. And it's a waste of potential, because I believe... Uh, from the bottom of my heart, that the NHS as a public service, free at the point of use, can exist for the next 75 years, yeah. but we've got to modernise and change in order for it to be sustainable in the longer term. Yeah, we've had this conversation before, but I, I, I really want to address what you've been saying. And, I, you know, it's not a criticism, it's your words. You said uh, also in that uh, same interview you want to shake the NHS and the public out of complacency. Uh, we've been reporting on Sky News this week on the... Uh, NHS. Um, can we have a camera there next time you tell a nurse who's come off a 12-hour shift that she's complacent? Hey, I'm not saying that, that people working in the NHS are complacent. In fact, I'm amplifying their their anxieties, their experiences no, at work. You're and not. I see, you're saying hang on, the Trevor, NHS let me is finish. complacent. That's a ridiculous thing to say. Your words. I've, I've sat in GP surgeries literally looking over GPs' shoulders as they show me their outdated IT systems and the ridiculous amounts of red tape and accountability measures that they are subjected to, which waste their time that they would rather spend dealing with patients. I've spoken to those nurses and ward staff who are dealing with creaking bureaucracy you and didn't outdated say to them, systems you're that, being hold complacent them, that hold them back. By but there is, there is a... The no, there is a you didn't of course, say no one, that, did you? I've been complaining about the NHS crisis. It's in its worst state in history, but I'm also saying, especially at a time when the public finances are in a total mess because of 13 years of conservative mismanagement, that, you know, firstly, 
there isn't a great deal of money to go around and we can't be complacent about that. And I think there is a complacency that assumes that we can just Ooh. turn the taps Would off. Lastly, after Rishi Sunak used inflammatory language in Italy this week to suggest immigration could overwhelm European states, Oliver Dowden signalled that the Prime Minister would be unwilling to bow to pressure from the right of his party over his Rwanda legislation. He told Trevor Phillips that Sunak was a rigorous person and had thought through the issue carefully. Phillips asked Dowden if he could envisage any changes being made to the bill and Dowden admitted that they wouldn't rule out amendments but said the legislation does the job. And We've got the balance intention. right to disapply uh, relevant pieces of legislation that are precluding that from happening. I know that's your and, intention, and, and but so you've just, got to just get the on this, we, together. Well, actually, it was interesting to me that the Conservative Party, of course we debated this vigorously, but in the end, the vast majority of Conservative MPs walked through the lobbies to support that legislation, and not one voted against it. Now, we'll, I will, we'll listen to our colleagues about how we can improve this uh, legislation. Of course we will, but uh, I think this is a good piece of legislation that, okay. that does the job, which is about ensuring that we control migration. So you can envisage that there will be changes to this bill? Well, we, we, of course we don't rule out uh, amendments, and of course we will engage with that. That's what happens with any piece of parliamentary legislation. What I would say, though, is that the Prime Minister is a pretty rigorous person. He's looked through this very carefully, turned it upside down, shaken it around. He's pretty sure this is the best thing that we can get. But of course, if there's other ways of improving it, we'll be open to doing that. That's all for this week. I'm Isabel Hardman, and this podcast was produced by Joe Bidell Brill. Don't forget to subscribe to the Coffee House Shots podcast on the iTunes store. And if you enjoyed this podcast, do subscribe to our daily evening blend email. It's a free roundup of all the political news each day along with analysis and a diary on what to expect next. Just go to spectator.co.uk forward slash blend. Thanks for listening and do join us again next week.